Morning, church. Looks like the driveways were shoveled out a little better this Sunday and last. Good job. Good job. Well, I'm going to talk to the guys real quick. Raise your hand if you're a man. All right. Sometimes verbal cues that we're listening is good. It kind of helps the attention. Now, not this Tuesday, but next Tuesday. All right? So not this Tuesday, but next Tuesday. So it's over a week out. So you've got to remember, it's Valentine's Day. All right? And on Valentine's Day, it's good for us guys to remember to get flowers, right? I've uh, actually this last, what was that? No, man, I think it was for a birthday for Elaine. It was the day of, and I realized, you know what? I really hope that the one or so flower stores in town are open. <laughs> And thankfully they were, and they had one bouquet of roses, and that was just for me, I think. <laughs> so anyways, thinking about flowers and giving flowers, is it our duty to give flowers to our wives on Valentine's Day? The answer to that would be yes, I think so. But it's more than that. So if you hand flowers to your wife on Valentine's Day and you say, here is my duty, that's going to fall flat, right? Right? Like, here is my offering to you. <laughs> We're good, right? <laughs> it falls a little flat, okay? There's not a lot of love in that, is there? And as we were sitting on Mount Sinai this last month, thinking about the commandments of the Lord to love God and to love others, it falls a little flat when there's not love in it. And so, we'll go to the next slide here. We're going to look at a Hebrew word. It says in the Hebrew, it's the word for willing, and it's pronounced nadab. You don't necessarily need to remember that, but the reason I put it in red there is to show you that the rest of the sermon, when you see a word in red, it is that word. And it gets translated about five or six different ways as the scripture rolls along. But it's the same word. And so when an author of scripture uses the same word close to ten times in a chapter, it's a pretty good clue that this is the point. Especially when the opening verse and closing verse <laughs> shares that word. And I'm going to read to you here out of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, this idea of being willing in our offerings, putting some love into it. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8 says this. It says, remember this. Just kind of like I was saying, guys, remember this, right? Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously, or you could say willingly, will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully, or you could say willingly. 
verse 8 says, And God will generously, or you could say willingly, provide all that you need. Then you will always have everything you need and have plenty over to share with others. In the Law of Moses, there's a lot of instructions about offerings. The end of the book of Leviticus, which is the book after Exodus, the closing words in the last chapter of Leviticus talks about an offering. It calls it a tithe offering. It says a tenth of the produce of the land should be set apart wholly to the Lord. And then at the end it says, these are the commandments that Moses gave to the people of God at Mount Sinai. And so as I've been wrestling through what does it mean for the people of Israel here to be redeemed out of Egypt, miraculously brought through a Red Sea, and come to this mountain where they're meeting with God, the birth of a nation, finally they're coming together as a people, learning what that means to be, there's a lot to do and say here in the Law of Moses about offerings. And when Jesus comes along, he ends up not abolishing the law or offerings, but he comes to fulfill it and to share. There's got to be willingness in there. There's got to be love. And the people had started, started to miss the point as time went on about that every commandment on Mount Sinai is meant to love God and to love others. Is it duty? Sure. But you're missing the point if it's just duty. Every commandment on Mount Sinai's point towards loving God, loving others. That's why when we started the new year, my challenge to y'all was to put your New Year's resolutions through that filter. Is this to love God, to love others? So, last week we were in chapter 34. We're not skipping a chapter. We're going to teach what the Bible teaches. We're in chapter 35 about offerings. And it says this, it says, Moses said to the whole community of Israel, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take a sacred offering for the Lord. Let those with generous hearts present the following gifts to the Lord. So what's this offering for? Well, back in chapter 25, the Lord revealed to Moses that he was to make a tabernacle, a dwelling place, a temple, so to speak, where the people could come together and worship God. And it was going to require some participation. Moses couldn't do it himself. It was going to be the entire people of God contributing together to do this. And instead of offering their abilities, their gifts, and most importantly, their love to what the Lord wanted. Instead, they created a golden calf out of their anxiety. They committed idolatry. They took all the family money and they put it into this golden calf and they worshipped that instead. In stark contrast to what that gold was supposed to be used for. Instead of loving God and loving others, they loved things. It wasn't just a money problem. It was a heart problem. 
and they sink that love into a bad investment. And that investment went belly up. Moses came down. He saw what this, what this was wrong that would not lead to shalom for the people of God. They repented. Finally, it took a while, but finally they repented. Intercession was made, and they enjoyed the presence of God living among them again. And Moses argued for that, saying, if you don't go with us, if we're not in your presence as the people of God, we don't want to go. We go where you go. And that's the commitment we made last week, a commitment of love on Mount Sinai, that we'll go where God goes. We'll follow his presence. And I asked you in those journals, we still have more in the back. Actually, there's 60 pages in those journals, so you can use one page, front and back, every Sunday. And if you lose journals, just keep it in your glove box. (laughs) And then bring it in on Sundays. And you can have all the sermons the whole year to reflect back on. But anyways, I asked you last week to write in there a commitment of love, to spend time in the presence of God. I think that's pretty foundational. And today we're going to be looking at another commitment of love here. So next verse, please. So it lists off some things that they're to give. And then it circles back here. It says, Exodus 35.10. I love this call to action. It says, Come, all of you who are gifted craftsmen, construct everything that the Lord has commanded. I like that invitation. For those in the construction business, you kind of know what this is, right? If there's a project to be done, how many of your employees do you have just sitting at home? None. How many of them get to take vacation? Not a lot. You say, all hands on deck. Everybody, <laughs> we got to get this thing up. We got to get after it. The clock is ticking. And so this is a call to all the people of God. And I love it. I love it in the scriptures. We see it a lot in the New Testament. As the people are building this, it's not just about what they're building, but the fact that they're doing it together, and they're coming together. The second sermon I gave here as a pastor, we call it barn raising. It was the idea that we're all chipping in. We're all participating in this thing. And that's what God cares most about, that we might be a community of love. And that that community might be a wave that lasts generations. Right now, we're sitting in the willing offering of people before us. Unless you made one big check 50 years ago, other people invested right now in love to you. And they might not ever have met you or known you, but they said, you know what? There needs to be a church here in this town so that people can live in a community of love. We have give, been given much as we see as the scripture rolls along. And it's exciting as these people come together and construct everything the Lord's commands in chapter 36, it says that those doing the work had to say, hey, hey, we got too much. <laughs> Cut off the giving. <laughs> and they get after it. And as Exodus closes in chapter 40, it says, 
on the first day of the first month. So this is New Year's Day. They finished the work. And the Lord comes and dwells among the people in the tabernacle, accessible to all the people. If you want to look at your own study this week, chapters 39 and 40, you'll see it over a dozen times. But every paragraph ends with the instructions. It says, and they did it just as the Lord commanded. So in case you think those chapters get boring, just given details of what was built, just clue in. They're doing just as the Lord commanded. And they're coming together as a people of God, a community of love. So verse 21 here says, All whose hearts were stirred and whose spirits were moved came and brought their sacred offerings to the Lord. They brought all the materials needed for the tabernacle. In verse 20, just before this, they were given time to think. It says every person went back to their own tent. I wonder how that time went. They were, issued the, they were issued the challenge, and then they had to go home and think. Maybe some of them forgot about it. They said, you know what? Good message, Moses. Great sermon. I'm back to doing what I'm doing. But some people whose hearts were open, something happened for some of these people where their hearts were willing. I underlined a word up there. It gets translated different ways. But it's a word that we saw last week, a work we focused on a lot two weeks ago. That word for stirred is the word forgiven. It says, for those hearts who were forgiven, whose heart, their spirits were moved to come, bring their sacred offerings to the Lord. Just think about these people. They knew where they'd come from. They were slaves in Egypt. They weren't allowed to own a lot of property. And then they had a near-death experience at the edge of the Red Sea. They were about to be slaughtered, and God delivered them. And I've heard a lot of testimonies of people that say, you know what, I was living life for myself until I came to a point that I was near death, and I told God, if you save me from this, I'll live for you. We have all come to a near eternal death experience. We've all had a close call, right? Our cars were faced to an oncoming semi. Our sin was going to bring death to us for eternity. And Jesus Christ offered himself to us in forgiving us and for each heart that has been forgiven I believe there's an overflow of willingness from that you want to write in your notes Luke 7 47 you can remember that that's the big airplane that goes the distance right 
Luke 7.47 is when Jesus receives a year's worth of perfume offered and poured out on his feet. And those that watched it grumbled. The religious board said that was not a good use of money. And Jesus reminds them in that verse, he says, for those who've forgiven much, love much. So if you want to have a willing spirit at the end of this service, if you want the commandments of the Lord not to be burdensome, as 1 John says, but to be a delight, as the Psalms continue to repeat, Good to reflect on how much you've been forgiven. That Jesus offered himself for you. And if you remember, they're doing this. They put the tabernacle together at the new year. It would be the start of year two. And if you remember the start of year one, was when God told them, I'm going to get you out of Egypt this very month. That's their anniversary. It's when they celebrate Passover, where they shed the blood of the lamb. They put it over their doorposts, and the plague comes through. And through that plague, Pharaoh says, get out of here. I will finally let you go. And the Red Sea parts. It's the month of their salvation and of their forgiveness And it's on that anniversary that they can say, you know what? As we reflect back a year ago, we have a lot to be thankful for, church. Amen. Amen. Next verse, please. Verse 22 through 23, it says, Both men and women came, all whose hearts were willing. They brought to the Lord their offering. All those who owned the following items willingly brought them. I love the investment that these people are making with their finances as well as with their hearts. And I'm going to keep referring back to Matthew chapter 6 this month because in Matthew chapter 6, it's part of the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus climbed up the mountain just like Moses did and explains the law of Moses saying, I'm not abolishing this, but I'm telling you what it really means. And as he addresses finances on the Sermon on the Mount, he gives us some really great things to think about. First, that's where the verse is where he says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. It can become a snare, just like it did in the golden calf for the people of God. Or it can be something really, really eternally beautiful. Other things said in Matthew 6 on this topic. It talks about when you give to those in need, not to do it to get your reward here on earth and showboat about it, but to do it secretly. Don't, not letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing. 
there's a willingness there, giving to the Lord, offering it to the Lord. And at the end of that chapter, it says, don't worry about what you will eat or drink. Right? Because you might start thinking right now, well, what about me? Who's going to take care of me? And he says, look, look back a year ago. Look how far I've taken you. I am the same faithful God that you can trust to take care of you better than you might take care of yourself. There's a lot of people out there taking care of themselves, and it doesn't go so good. But at the end of that chapter, it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So I think it's beautiful that Jesus keeps refining these ideas on Mount Sinai as he climbs up the mountain and teaches what this really means for our hearts. Next verse, please. 25 through 26. Now I add this verse in here because, yes, it has this word for willing, but also because it reminds me of a story. So in this verse, you see that the women are sowing as an offering to the Lord. And I just want to share to you the variety that can exist in our offerings to the Lord and the unique ways he's gifted us. And I was working at my home church, and we were implementing a new Sunday school hour. And I had a grandmother that said, I would really love to do a sewing ministry. I don't know what that looks like, but I really like to do that. At the same time, there was a girl in high school in our youth group who said, it was just ironic, it was the same week, she said, Pastor Rob, do you, do you know of anybody, uh, you know, maybe an older woman in the church that enjoys sewing that could be a good mentor for me? I said, yes, I just had a conversation with somebody. At the same time, we were looking for a children's opportunity, a children's class, and some of the kids needed an activity, um, and some of them were interested in sewing. So we ended up hitting about five birds with one stone. <laughs> we had the older ladies and then the high school girls coming together to lead a children's class <laughs> as they would do some sewing projects, and then they would give those to a refugee ministry. That was great. That was great. This last Christmas, actually, one of those grandmothers in the mail sent Hosanna some slippers. And I, I thought, yeah, I was like, that's pretty special. And in the back of my mind, I thought, I don't know if she's going to wear them, right? She loved them. <laughs> she ran around the whole house wearing them. And all that started, there's two women, one younger, one older, both just saying, I want to be willing to be used by God. And I want to love others. You have that kind of attitude. God can work with that. God can steer that ship. <laughs> and sometimes, he'll make it clear as day. 
like you did for me that week. I just connect these people together. Right? The Spirit is moving here in the same direction. Connected together. And that's what's going on in this chapter. The Spirit is moving and the people are moving together towards building this sanctuary for the Lord to dwell in. Next verse. 29. This is the one in your bulletins. It says, The people of Israel, every man and woman who was eager to help in the work the Lord had given them through Moses, brought their gifts and gave them freely to the Lord. That's about the tenth time or so we've had a word in red up there. The idea of being willing to do this. And there's times in Scripture where the people are very unwilling to do this. A lot of the prophets deal with the people as they turn their backs on these commitments of love. One of those classic cases is in Malachi chapter 3 where God says, you're cheating me, everybody. You're not giving to me any offerings. You're not loving God or loving people with your finances. And you wonder why there's not peace, why there's not shalom among the people of God. And he gives them a challenge in chapter 3 of Malachi, starting in verse 10. He says, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I'll pour out a blessing so great you won't have room to fill your barns. Or you won't. <laughs> I think I said that wrong. But you get what I mean. And at the end of it, he says, try me. <laughs> try me. Put me to the test. In other words, a year from now, you'll be able to look back and see my faithfulness. Next verse. Verses 30 through 35 close out this chapter. They introduce us to this guy. His name's Bazalel. Watch the YouTube video to pronounce that right. <laughs> I don't, I've never met a Bazalel before. Not a popular name, I guess. But you could name a kid after this guy. He's got a great story. He <laughs> says he was specifically chosen by God to lead the work. Verse 31, it says, The Lord has filled Bazalel with the Spirit of God giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He's specially gifted for this. And yet that's not of his own doing. God made him like that. God chose him like that. God filled him with the Spirit. Again, something he can't take credit for. The point here is that we have all been given much. We've been forgiven. We've been crafted ever so uniquely. It could be sewing. It could be construction. Whatever line of work. God has put you in a position unique to you to do ministry that only you can do 
you might be able to say something to someone they might not hear or listen to from anyone else, but because of your story, you might earn that right. When David builds the temple permanently, so this structure, he builds it permanently in Jerusalem on Mount Zion. And when he does that, they have a celebration. And in that prayer of celebration, he says, 1 Chronicles 29, he says, God, we thank you. We thank you. He says, and who am I? And who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have comes from you. And we give you only what you first gave us. Those are beautiful words. We give you only what you first gave us. The Lord, he never, he never goes in the red. He's not hurting financially. He's not taking out loans. The creator owns his creation. It is his. This isn't a sermon about the 100% you have should be down to 90%. This is a sermon that you don't have anything. It's the Lord's. And that doesn't mean you put 100% all in one spot. It means that with discernment and a willing heart, you say, God, I want to love you and love others. And that includes paying my utility bill. That's a, that's a sacred offering right there. That means paying your taxes. But that number ends up being 100% as you willingly offer it to the Lord, as he helps you see where it should go. And a really good uh, example of evidence I can point to, that it's all his, that we actually don't own much, is something my grandpa tells me often. He's not taking any of it with him. What does it really mean to own something? means that you get to make choices over that instead of someone else? Is that what it means to own something? We are stewards of God's creation. We're to be stewards that bring peace and shalom to his creation. That's part of what offerings is all about and the heart of giving. Next slide, please. So is your life a willing offering? The New Testament, Paul gets along in years, the Apostle Paul. And in 2 Corinthians 5, oh, I'm sorry, not that verse. <laughs> 2 Timothy 4, 6-8. Paul's getting along in years, and he's doing some reflection. He's telling a young man named Timothy about being faithful to carry out his ministry, what he's been stewarded with. 
So in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 through 8, he says, As for me, Paul says, For me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits for me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day he returns. The prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly, you could say willingly, look forward to his appearing. If you're laying up your treasure in heaven, if you truly in your heart are looking forward to the return of Christ, you're going to know what to do tomorrow with all that he's given you. Christ is the greatest example of an offering. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God made Christ, who knew no sin, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, that we could be made right with God through Christ. I was looking at my journal here last Thanksgiving, and every once in a while I get a little jingle in my head. So I write, some, I write the lyrics out. And uh, this little jingle I wrote said, uh, All I care is about giving my cares to you. And then the end was, To be, a, to be fully alive requires a 100% tithe. I was just feeling convicted over that Thanksgiving. Not about 10%. To be fully alive requires 100% tithe. Jesus gave it all for us. And there is such sweet fellowship as we give it back to him. And it's contagious. This isn't just about what you should do. It's a blessing to be in the household of God because the person on your left and on your right God wants to use to love you. The generation before you, God is using to love you. God doesn't need your tithes. He wants to love the person next to you. And he wants them to love you. It's a beautiful thing when you consider the household of God. As we prepare for communion, ask God for that willingness for yourself. Ask it for this church. It's a contagious thing. when we begin to love one another, when we love God the way he's called us to.
1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 25 says, For I received what the, from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and he, when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. I'll give you moments in the presence of God. Thank him for what he's done for you. Thank him for his forgiveness for you. And ask him to do in your heart what does not naturally happen. To give you a heart of flesh and not of stone. A heart that's alive and that is not dead. To give you a heart of love.